Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace for the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee, spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel, from Franklin to the nations of the world, all for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. So this Sunday also marks the beginning of a year-long series. The series is called Behold Our God, Delighting in the Trinity. So what we're going to do over this full school year is we're going to be going through how God reveals himself through scripture. This fall, we're going to look together beginning next week until Advent at how God has revealed himself as the Father. And then beginning with Advent through Easter, how God has revealed himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after Easter, how God has revealed himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't heard of this book before, Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, written in 2012. It's a short book. We're not following the exact outline of the book, but it is very accessible helpful, not the first word nor the last word on the Trinity, but it is also very pastoral. So we encourage you, if you're not familiar with the book, look it up. Many across our congregation are reading it, some in connect groups, others individually and in Bible studies. So it's called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. But as we together begin to work through the work and of the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you might ask, why are we doing this and why would it take a year? Well, it doesn't take a year, but I can't think of a better way to make sure that we are grounded in the centrality of our faith is in a God who has revealed himself and calls us to delight in him. But do we know the one in whom we delight? Have we wrestled with how he has revealed himself and how and what difference that makes in our daily lives? If you're not a believer, I encourage you to stick with us as you consider this God that we seek to worship every Sunday morning. To know this God who has revealed himself, who is delighted to be revealed, who desires to be made known and who makes himself known. Biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high. Though we have more access to the word than perhaps any other generation before us. And so this series is seek, seeks to answer the question, what do the scriptures teach about who God is and what he has done? And so that's what we're going to do together. So this week is an introduction to this series. And as we turn in your Bibles, if you have them, turn them on electronically, whatever it is uh, you do and how you roll. Our text this morning is Psalm 8. It is the Psalm of David. And as you turn there, I want to prepare you for what is a psalm that was turned into a hymn. It was originally meant for the worship of God's people as they gather together, musicians, 
Those who would dance before the Lord, those who would, you ready to dance before the Lord? Okay, so as we hear the word read, it is, you don't have to be dour. It doesn't have to be our faces turned down. It is meant to be that which animates the people of God in their worship. And in this Psalm, it repeats a refrain. It asks an important question, but directs our gaze to behold our God. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, How majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, stories and memories are being told about her life, but many of those stories have focused on her young age, the day of her coronation. And on that day, you can go back and you can see in very grainy video and in black and white, you can imagine just the regal attire that she was dressed in. We can imagine with our mind's eye the beautiful colors that adorned the abbey and of all those gathered there for this young queen to be coronated. But a part of her attire was a three-pound closed crown. There have been many like it. It had to be replaced many years earlier because the one it replaced was dropped and broken and shattered. But this one, which was fashioned and made in 1937, was made up of 2,901 different jewels set in beautiful, fine gold. And with the newly coronated queen sitting on her throne with her attire and this beautiful crown on her head that was priceless. What rang out in that abbey for everyone to hear were the following words. Quote, we present you with this book 
the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. There is no more valuable thing than you and I can be given in this life than these words printed on these pages because they are not mere ink on thin crackly paper. These are the living promises of a triune God, promises made, promises fulfilled, promises yet unfulfilled, but will be finally fulfilled on the day in which Jesus Christ is revealed to all humanity as the keeper of the word, in fact, called the word, the word made flesh. This word, not my words, this word. This word, not the vision statement of a church. This word, not a building. This word, not the evil of humanity. This word, not our promises made as humans yet not kept. This word is the word which is our root of existence our foundation and the truth of God revealed. So dear friends, if you are unacquainted with this word, I encourage you that if you've stayed away from it, I encourage you start with the Psalms. If you have not been reminded of just how glorious is our God, go read Psalm 8 and pray through it and have it read and stand and sit, ride, walk in silence and let the word have its way with you. Because one promise I know from the word that where it marinates, it brings life. And from this word, we have life this morning. We have first, <laughs> a priority. Second, a question. Third, a refrain. Priority, question, and refrain. First, the priority. David writes these words and begins with the highest way that he could do, which is to call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, covenant-keeping God. How majestic is your name in all the earth? And then he takes us through a psalm that has relationship, time and space, past, present and future, a cosmos in view, a human life in conversation with this living God and then a refrain to be remembered and memorized. This Psalm has it all. It is a rich tapestry as this King, lead worshiper and shepherd of the people Israel 
leader in worship, calls on the name of the covenant-keeping God before Israel, now writing a song to be played for the worship. And in it is something very personal. He, it's like he takes us all and welcomes us right out these doors. And he says, look at the skies. You have set your glory, your literal weight, the weightiness of who you are is visible by what you've made. And then in anthropomorphisms, he uses fingers that you and I have that can point at the full moon that we've just experienced and say, you made that. And before the light pollution, he would have been able to point out the stars to be engulfed by the sun that comes from its chamber like a bridegroom on his wedding day, as the psalmist would write. So as he calls our attention to the heavens, he then calls our attention to children, some of who are seated here. He didn't look to the sages or to the wise. He didn't look to the beautiful and to the strong. He says, you have ordained praise in the mouth of infants, in the mouths of children. You have put the praise of who you are on their lips. We need to hear this because we become so cynical and believe that we know more than children But what this text tells us is God makes himself known through the praise of the youngest in our midst. Why is that? Because he means to shame the wise. He means for us to hear that God has ordained praise from the richest imaginations in human population, our children. And they look out at the skies and they are not distracted with screens yet. They are distracted by, look, look at that. See it over there. Now he calls on this magnificence of praise. It's important to remember because he says in verse two that this praise This priority of praise is not just on the lips of children, but it comes in the lips of children in the context of those who deride God. It's right here. He says, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. He's saying that God has ordained praise in the mouths of children to shame the cacophony of those who say I'm not real and trustworthy. Those are the scorners. Those are the ones who say you are no God. So in the midst of the cacophony of those who would complain that God is not real or trustworthy or good, God at the same time shames them by ordaining praise from the lips of children. You'll see in a moment why that is so important and why 
the foundation of your salvation has been announced on the lips of children in the midst of derision. So friends, know this. This is not a psalmist and a musician waxing poetically. No, this is David led forward by the Holy Spirit, writing for us a song of praise that is declaring the priority of praise for a God who shows himself through the weak things of the world that we might know his redemption. That, I would say, is a God who is worth worshiping. But there's a question here. This question comes after he's imagined the cosmos, called on the name of God, remembering the praise of children in the midst of derision. And then he asked this question, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. David, without cynicism, without pessimism, or optimism. He's simply saying, you are worthy of praise. Why would you ever think of us? That is a fantastic question. And he asks it with surprised astonishment. And I get it, don't you? Look at us. Think about what goes through our brains on a daily basis on the dumb mistakes and the horrible evil that we commit. On that whole spectrum, when we look in the mirror and we go, huh, another day. Same crazy, different calendar. We look at the world around us and look what a mess we've made. What a mess we have made. our sin only breaking ourselves and the world around us, the sin of others breaking and continuing to break every day, the beauty and glory of this world that even the scriptures say, even the world and the animals long and groan for the demonstration and the revealing of the son, as Paul would write. We groan because we feel our know our brokenness and the brokenness of the world. But with surprised astonishment, the psalmist says, why would you be mindful of me? But then it gets better. He then has this conversation and he says, why would you care for the son of a man? So I want you to hear that word. Why? Why would you care? (laughs) He's not just having a conversation with God abstractly. God, you've created human beings. Oh, isn't that great? And look at the cosmos. No, he's having a personal conversation with the Lord set to music that now is our words of praise. He's saying, God hasn't just created us a little lower than the angels. God hasn't just given us rule and authority and care over the beasts of the field, the fish of the sea. All of that begins when he says, 
No, you are not just mindful of us. No, he uses the word translated care. And that is a loving, merciful, gracious care. That God who has created all things, knowing that we are sinners, knowing that we would make a mess of it, God still cares for you. Do you hear that this morning? When the psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who is the son of man that you would care for him? Do you know that the Lord cares for you today? What are you fearful of? What pain are you bringing into this room? What joys are you bringing into this room? What longings, what questions are you bringing into this room? And do you know that the Lord cares for you and all of it? One of my favorite storytellers, Neil Ford, told recently a story where he was invited to go on a motorcycle trip to Montana in Uh, to be able to see the beautiful sights of Montana and and the mountains. He almost said no, but he decided to go. It was with a a biker club gang by another generation. But as they got closer to their destination, he says they're kind of like a magnet attracting disparate pieces of metal. And all these bikers began to swell and they followed each other to Yosemite. They parked and the park rangers had to come and tell them, quiet it down, it's time to go to sleep. You need to cut off the party. So they, they all went to their bed. And so he was given a place to lay on top of, the, of a van that was there so he could sleep out under the stars. He goes, this is magnificent. So he gets up on top of the van and he looks back over at the fire and there's one lone biker guy named Bones who's sitting there by himself. And Neil Ford, being who he is, can't let that happen alone. So he gets down off the van, he goes over and sits next to Bones And Bones is not a man of many words, but he said, if you looked up biker in the encyclopedia, Bones' face would be there. (laughs) He's seen a few things and experienced a few things. He is a a former Marine and who served in Helmand province. And he was a part of also first aid and also a part of Marine Corps that was responsible for bringing uh, dead servicemen and women back to be buried. And as the night went on, it continued to be more and more quiet and he, he finally just wanted to ask Bones a question just to get to know him. And he said, Bones, I have a question for you. He said, if you could ask three questions of God and get the answer, what would they be? And I've never seen Neil Ford do this, but he had to take I think he said 30 takes to be, to be able to tell the story, but, but he couldn't do it without crying. And he doesn't repeat the questions. He said, Bones only asked two questions. And he says, his questions were full of so much suffering and so much pain that he couldn't even bring himself to write out the questions. And all he could do was sit there in silence with Bones. And at the end, finally, Bones gets up and as he's leaving the fire, he turns back to Neil and he says, I would rather be an optimist and a fool 
than a pessimist and be right. I don't know what their exchange was and I don't know what those questions are. But I have one part of this Psalm I want you to put your stake in the ground because what the scriptures give us is not optimism. And and I do happen to agree with Bones. I'd rather be an optimist and considered a fool than a pessimist and be right. But I have something from the word I want you to hear that is better than optimism. It It is a root for our souls. And it's in these words, again, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. So in the midst of our brokenness and sin, in the midst of a very broken world that is tired and weary, what would our question be of God? What would your question be of him? David was, who are we? that you would care for us. And in the midst of that astonished question, these words would be in the mouth of one man, one man, Jesus Christ, who came to be clothed in flesh, who knew no sin, yet cares for you and for me. In Matthew chapter 21, we hear these words. Jesus, in the final week before his crucifixion, came into Jerusalem and he goes into the temple and they're using the temple as a marketplace to make money off of so that people can hear the word of God and the promises of God. Jesus clears the temple, you might be you might be aware of and might remember if you're familiar with the passage. And that that gathers some attention. And the text says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And after he says this, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law, okay, Jesus is healing lepers. He's bringing healing to their bodies. But what catches the attention of the people who should have expected Jesus, what makes them mad is the following. (laughs) But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. The children knew before the disciples. The children knew before the leaders of the church. The children knew, Hosanna, glory be to God in the highest. To which Jesus would respond, And he said, do you hear these children, what they are saying? And Jesus said, yes. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Psalm 8 and the astonishment of David 
and why God would care finds its fulfillment in the one through whom God demonstrates his care. I give myself to you that I might rescue and redeem you, that I might make you new. And I've ordained that praise on the lips of children. Hosanna, Hosanna to God in the highest. This is the praise of children. What should our praise be? Well, the Psalm gives us the refrain. And the Psalm says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. The covenant keeping, caring, mindful, merciful, gracious, present King. How majestic is your name. In a few moments, our worship team is going to be leading us in a new song, Need You More, it is titled. When I am lost, when I am alone, when my faith is almost gone, you see my heart, you lead me home, you give me courage to carry on. I need you more, I need you more than the very breath that I have. Friends, behold our God, who by his mercy and grace has created the world and has created you and me a little below the angels and crowned us with glory and honor, who've been made in his image and yet have marred the image by our sin. And yet God, by his grace, has ordained the praise of him from the lips of children. And it is this one who would come into Jerusalem, who would die on the outskirts, on the hill of death, on a cross that you and I might say, glory be to the God in highest. Behold, glory be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We acknowledge to you, we need you and all of you. Greater than all the crowns on every head of every monarch. Greater than all the castles and kingdoms. Greater than all the horses and weapons of war. Greater than all creation. You are our God. Majestic and worthy of praise. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. But we are in deep need of you. Alone, discouraged, perhaps crushed and grieving, joyful and laughing, yet we are in need. By your grace and care, May you ordain your praise on the lips of your people, that your word would be our root, that Jesus would be our strong tower. Come, Lord Jesus, we need you more, in whose name we pray, amen.